we're going to jump right right into the text uh, this morning, and um, and so if you would turn to First Peter chapter three, uh, we'll read that in just a few moments. But I we we. We are in the middle of a series called We Believe, and, and we were going to be walking through this next section of the We Believe service, uh, sermon series, and specifically on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, one of three weeks that we'll have on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And we spent weeks together um, traveling along the road of what we believe here about Scripture, about our triune God, about God's sovereign purposes, about mankind being created male and female, and about mankind's problems as those who have fallen short of the glory of God and the person and work of Jesus in his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension and promised return. And all along the way, we have tried to communicate there are two guiding questions we've wanted to keep at the center of our thoughts as we've traveled along the road of this series. The first question is, are you growing in the knowledge of God? So as you're thinking about like all of, the, all of the things that we've studied already, are you growing in the knowledge of God? And secondly, and, and closely tied in or inter, intersected with this, are you growing in loving God and loving people? So not just, not just knowledge of God, but true knowledge of God will affect your love for God and your love for one another. Real questions for us to consider. And with those questions front and center in our thoughts, before we head into the next section of what we believe doctrinally, I wanted to stop at a checkpoint together. There's a picture of a checkpoint here um, where you're traveling along the road and the military has set up a stop. And it's just to check papers, right? To check, to make sure everything's, everything's good. And like what I what I thought yesterday was we need to we need to stop and okay if these are two guiding questions kind of three three guiding questions almost but those guiding questions are are we growing in our knowledge of God are we growing in our love for God are we growing in our love for one another by the things that we've been listening to it's, it's one thing to, <clears throat> to hear the word of God preached. It's an entirely other thing to hear the word of God preached and have it affect the way that we live. In other words, be hearers of the word and doers of the word. Not just hearers of the word and thus deceiving yourself, thinking that it's bearing fruit in your life when it actually is not. It's going in one ear and out the other. So I wanted to just take a moment to breathe in this series, consider if we're taking heed of what's being taught, and I want to do so by considering our relationships with one another this morning. And this is the main point, the big idea this morning, gospel truth, and I'll add uh, maybe in this biblical truth, gospel slash biblical truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel-powered relationships. Now, those, there's, there are sp some specific words here. So, gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, through, and, and what's, what's assumed here is through the preaching of the Word, specifically on Sunday mornings in this, by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit. When it's planted in our hearts by the Spirit, it will bear the fruit of gospel-powered relationships, gospel-informed relationships. <clears throat> and so, we want to assess how things are going. So, 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. This is God's word. This is not just man's word. This is the authoritative word of God to us and will bear fruit 
in God's timing as it's received. Peter says, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. <clears throat> now, to reiterate, the question I want to ask this morning is, how should we who believe God's word to be true, who believe that there is no one like our God, who believe that we exist for him and we are to know deep joy in him, who believe that although we have in our sin rebelled against God and rightly deserve judgment, that we've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ and we're forgiven and accepted and adopted as his children, how might these truths that we've been learning about, refreshing ourselves on these number of weeks, how might these truths not only give us more knowledge of God and growth in our love for God, but specifically today, how might these truths grow us in our love for one another? They have to, they have to have an effect on our relationship with one another, in the way that we live with one another. Otherwise, it's just information that's going in our head, and it's maybe making our heads big with knowledge, but it's not coming out the way it's supposed to be. We need to assess this morning gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel-powered relationships in the church and outside the church. So that's going to be our direction this morning. It's just looking at gospel, the fruit of gospel-powered relationships in the church, and then secondly, the fruit of gospel power relationships outside the church. First, the fruit of gospel power relationships in the church. Verse 8 says, Finally, Peter says, All of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Far from an impossible list of things to do in our own strength, these are fruits of the Holy Spirit. Hear, hear me say this. These are, I'm not, not saying that, hey, as, as, as you're learning, you've got you to gotta get busy. You've got to get busy doing things. It's just that as you're learning and as we're, as we're pursuing the Spirit, as we're asking the Spirit to inform us by God's Word and say, help me to live in this, part of the fruit that's going to come out is, are these things. These are fruit of the Holy Spirit. And they increasingly mark those who don't just listen to biblical truth week in, week out, but those who have it planted in their hearts by the power of the Spirit. You know the difference, right, between a sermon that you hear and you can't wait for it to be done because it's just, you got other things to do. There's other times where we hear a sermon or a message or a conference speaker or whatever, and you know, our hearts just aren't in it. We're just, it's not, we're not necessarily looking for something else to do. We just... We're scattered. But then there's other times where it seems as though the Lord God himself is speaking right to your heart. And it's the Holy Spirit planting that in your heart in that moment. Other times we need to hear the word over and over and over and over again. Matter of fact, most of the time, that's what needs to happen. And it's never separated from God's word. That the Holy Spirit will speak through God's word when we open God's word. 
He is speaking to us. And so even this morning as I preach, this is, this is it's not as though my words are, are the very words of God. It is though, on the other hand, what is true in this sermon is as though God were speaking to us this morning about these specific things because one of the reasons why we love the way that we want to preach in this church is because we preach God's word and not just opinions on things. <clears throat> Strive to do that. The first fruit seen in the gospel power relationships in the church is that we are those who by the power of the Spirit live in humility with one another. Uh, something that is assumed often, but it is something that we need to press in on. Live in humility with one another. Paul, Peter says, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. The, kind of the bookends here. Unity of mind and a humble mind. One fruit. Could I get a Kleenex? Um, maybe? Thanks. <clears throat> Thank you. One fruit that marks one who has had gospel truth planted in their hearts by the power of the Spirit is humility. Hands down. A, 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 a non-humble Christian is just... They're just someone that doesn't get the gospel. Peter calls it unity of mind in verse 8. We're talking about humility with one another, unity of mind together. The reality is that we all have different personalities. We have different tastes. We have different desires, different habits. But unity of mind is not getting at those kind of things as though we need to all agree on the same things in the culture or even agree on all same things concerning food or sports teams or whatever, right? There's all sorts of differences. It's not about having those things. It's that we may happen to have in common with one another. We kind of gravitate towards those people who we agree with. But you see, the church, there's, we don't just simply agree on the Cleveland Browns or, or, or the Cincinnati Bengals or the Houston Astros or that Thai food is some of the best food or or whatever, right? We don't, we, don't, we don't just agree on those kind of things. Those, those things are all scattered things that we may or may not agree with. We certainly don't agree politically. But there is something we do agree on. And that very thing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, it could be that we're called to have the same thoughts and understandings about God, salvation, scripture, the church, a doctrinal unity of mind in all sorts of ways, certainly true and why we want to go through this We Believe series so that we know who we are as a church and what we believe as a church. But I think ultimately that we're called to have unity of mind because it reveals a key character trait of the one that we follow, Jesus our Savior. The only way for us to have unity of mind with one another is when there is a growing humility that's present in our lives, and it's a kind of humility that the Apostle Paul speaks of in Philippians 2. So we don't get caught up on political differences. We don't get caught up on differences of other things that are irritating or not irritating, depending on the person that you're talking to. We are, we are humbly walking alongside of each other in a vastly different scenario with a vastly different savior. If there's any encouragement, Paul says, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. 
having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, this, this same mind, this one mind, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in the human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, point of death, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. One thing that marked our, our, our Savior as much as anything else was his humility. And so when the head of the church is humble, man, the body must reflect that. If, if, if we understand the gospel, if we understand our Savior, then by the power of the Holy Spirit, that's how we understand the Savior, through the word of God, then we are going to be increasingly humble and of one mind, but we have to be reminded, don't we? So Paul says to Philippian church, guys, have this mind among yourselves. Be, be, of, be of one mind. Remember, remember Jesus? <laughs> He, he, he's the one for whom we live. He's the one for whom more of him, less of me, more humility, less pride, less self-centeredness, self-saturation, more of him means more of him and less of me. And, and actually then also the way it comes out is by serving him through serving one another and loving one another and caring for one another as we'll see in just a few moments. The primary fruit that will be growing in those who have had gospel truth planted in their hearts by the Spirit is unity of mind. It, it, it is a mark. It is something that will occur when the gospel is being planted in our heart. When, when the We Believe series, for whatever is worth, worth it in the, we, in the We Believe series, when it's landing on our hearts by the, power of the, by the power of the Holy Spirit, through the preached word of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, what's going to come out as we apply, as we receive, as we respond, as the word does not return empty, it's going to look like, in one way, foundationally, unity of mind and humility and considering others before ourselves. Looking out for the interests of those around you, no matter the season of life. Maybe you're a older person that doesn't have children and there's parents of young children who are wrestling and struggling in life and to be able to look out for their interests and to care for them, not by just telling them what you think they need to do, matter of fact, not doing that, but coming alongside of them and caring for them, loving them and serving them. Looking out for the interests of those around you, no matter their varying likes or dislikes, no matter even their varying political leanings. This, this is the mind of Christ. It's this humility that Peter points to again and again at the end of verse 8 when he repeats that we must have a humble mind. So again, this, this, this bookmark kind of thing. Unity of mind, oneness of mind, and a humble mind at the end. Peter isn't being just forgetful. I mean, he just said it, but he's repeating himself purposely here by telling us by way of reminder that a life lived in humility towards one another is the primary fruit of one who has had the gospel truth planted in her heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. Genuine, authentic humility in our relationships with one another is seen um, 
or is the primary fruit seen in those who have been taught biblical gospel truth by the Spirit through the preaching of the Word of God. That is the reality. Genuine, authentic humility in our relationships will be the primary fruit when the Spirit is working among us. And seen in those who recognize that we are utterly dependent on God for life and for breath and for intelligence and emotional stability and faith and safety and our smelling and our hearing and our seeing and our touching and our professions and our schooling and our houses and our, ho- our homes and our, our, um, our families. Humility of mind, unity of mind between one another will be the primary fruit of those who have the word of God come alive to them by the power of the spirit to have come to understand that apart from the grace of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have, not one of us, have any hope whatsoever. And this truth, far from just being a bit of information that we hear week after week on multiple occasions and tend to grow dull towards, actually makes us stand and wonder that that we have been born again. That we who were once enemies of God have been made alive. We who were dead in our sins, who had no hope in this world whatsoever, have been made alive by God, forgiven, brought into his family. Each of us who have believed in the name of Jesus and trusted him to be our savior and followed him as our Lord and master and and we look around us at others in the church family and amid all the varying thoughts, all the varying opinions and likes and dislikes regarding any number of things stands tall the reality that we who were once dead, Dan who was once dead, Jensi who was once dead, Olga who was once dead, Greg and Carol and and, and all, all all of us who are born again in this church, person to person to person, the man, we were all once dead. Now we've been shown by, we've been shown grace by the Lord God who created us, who could have very well been just as just to punish us for our sins, but instead punished his son in our place. We've been made alive. We who were once orphans have been made the children of God. We were brought into the family of God together. We did not climb up a ladder to get to a certain place. All of us had no hope, and we've all been given eyes to see. We all have no reason for pride. We have every reason for humility before God. Friends, we come together and we look at one another through that lens, through that gospel lens. Gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel-powered humility in our relationships with one another. Another fruit seen in gospel-powered relationships in the church is that we are those who, by the power of the Spirit, live with compassion towards one another. We live with compassion towards one another. Now, just on the inside of the bookmarks, Peter says this, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. You see that? So it's kind of coming in on the bookmarks here. We see, we see sympathy and a tender heart. Peter describes this compassion first as sympathy, rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep. It's feeling what others feel so that we can respond with sensitivity to their need. Now, the reason I'm speaking about this again is just simply because we've been talking about we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, we believe this, and we're like, okay, well, if you believe that, this is what it's going to look like. So keep that... Not just, learning, not just learning more things to do. So reality is what, when the Spirit plants these truths about what we believe in our hearts, we are changed. So 
through the years, I've learned that there are always time, it's always time to talk about um, doctrinal truth to be communicated in counseling sessions and for, for hard questions to be considered amid small trials and greatest of trials. But what is always needed first with one another in the church and outside the church for this matter is sympathy, listening to each other, tenderheartedness towards one another, patience with each other, spending time with one another, trying to get into each other's shoes per se, being emotionally entwined with one another, it's, it's identifying with one another's struggles and pains. It's, it's for the 53-year-old guy to get into the feet of a, to get into the shoes of a 32-year-old young dad who is having a hard time sleeping at night because his child is going through difficulty. Stepping into those shoes in some way to try to grasp the difficulties of parenting again. It's been 25 years for us since we had little ones. And it's easy to forget, isn't it? Older people. It's easy to forget what young parents go through. Because it was 25 years ago. I can guarantee you, you went through the same thing. Or similar things. And stepping into their shoes again means closing your mouth, opening your ears, and putting out your hands to help. Tenderheartedness, caring for one another. We can genuinely love one another, care for one another when we listen to each other. Being sympathetic and kind-hearted, this tender heart, a soft heart for one another means that from deep inside we're, we're to be kind towards one another. Not, not quickly move to irritation with each other, but tender-hearted towards one another, kind-hearted. It's not about acting nice towards someone on the outside while feeling tinges of anger or bitterness or hatred on the inside or even simple disregard for a brother or sister in Christ. It is genuinely loving one another from the depth of your belly even when you are in significant disagreement with them about something that's not central to the Christian faith. But even if it is, as we'll see, there's a way to be tenderhearted and kind to the person that doesn't even believe and is an actual enemy of the cross. But we're talking about the church right now. Biblical gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel power, tenderheartedness in our relationships. And when tenderheartedness or sympathy is absent in our hearts towards one another, it is evidence that while we may have heard the message of the gospel, that message has either not been planted in our hearts or... The plant of the gospel growth in our lives has shriveled due to a lack of watering or due to a lack of tending. So we hear the gospel, but it's just kind of bouncing around in our heads till it falls out and we don't really, we aren't really affected by the truth of the gospel and it does not come out in the way that we act towards one another concerning our tender heartedness. So what, 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 what must we do? What must we do for growing in tending to this tenderheartedness. Paul says in Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. We, we tend to 
the plant of gospel growth in our lives by continually remembering and learning and meditating upon the truth of the gospel, namely that we have seen the love of God for us as we've experienced the compassion and the tenderheartedness of God towards us while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We can genuinely love one another and grow in tenderheartedness towards one another because we've been treated in that same way by God in Christ Jesus. And when we get that, as we get that, now we will be getting that more and more week after week, and we should not tire of this. It's just growing in our understanding of this gospel grace. By, when we get it by the power of the Spirit, this gospel reality will bear fruit in our lives as Christ's love compels us and it constrains us to live in tenderhearted sympathy and compassion towards one another. And putting ourselves in each other's shoes. And yet there's more. Not just humility of mind with one another, not, not, not just compassion with one another, but, but also the fruit of loving one another. Really living with love for one another. Right in, the, right in the middle of this verse. So you've got the bookmarks, and then you've got the next things with sympathy and tenderheartedness, and then right in the middle is brotherly love. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love. It's kind of like the pinnacle of the reality. Right smack dab in the middle is this highlighting of the priority of brotherly love as the mark of one who has been moved upon by the Spirit of God. Gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel-powered love in our relationships. Not, not just kind of getting along with each other, not just kind of working through the muck together in some way, loving one another, sacrificing for one another, serving one another, thinking about one another, sending texts to each other, encouraging one another, loving each other, thinking, processing, caring. See the, the tenderheartedness, the, the sympathy, the being in other persons. She's thinking about humility, being of one mind, of thinking about the person that's among us that's among you that you, you might not agree with on any given thing. They've been born again. They are a brother or sister in Christ who have been brought from death to life, who has been called, who's been chosen, as we said, from before the foundation of the world, that they would glorify God with their body and their soul. Those people that are just, just a little bit irritating to us, those are your brothers and sisters whom you just don't just kind of try to get along with. You grow by the power of the Spirit in deep and abiding love for them. This is, this is gospel fruit. And we're kidding ourselves if we're listening to the We Believe series and, and think that that's enough somehow. Listening to the We Believe series, listening to the word of God preached, period, when there is little fruit coming out the other side means that it's just this knowledge base for you or it's just falling out the other ear if knowledge does that kind of thing. Jesus says in John 13, 34, love one another even as I have loved you. So there's an example of how to love one another. Marks those who've been given eyes to see, who've drunk of the Spirit, who've had the truth not just placed between our ears by way of hearing, but in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, and our relationships are marked by it increasingly. We don't ever arrive to where we're perfectly loving, right? But listen, when we fail to love somebody, what is one of the most loving things to do but could go to that person and say, would you please forgive me? 
humbling yourself, putting yourself in their place, trying to understand why they're thinking the way they do and coming to them and apologizing and asking for forgiveness. It's humility and it's love. So at this checkpoint along the road that we're traveling together regarding what it is we believe here at SGC Dayton, may we be quick to ask the Holy Spirit to make known to us what it is that we're hearing and how it is we're responding in obedience to it. Are, are we growing in not just our knowledge of God, but our love for God and growing then in our love for one another as we consider what it is we believe? We can have the best statement of faith, which, which we don't say we do, but we, we could have the best statement of faith ever written in the history of mankind. And if we don't have love for one another, what is it that Paul says we are? Noisy gong. Secondly, um, I want to speak about the reality that the fruit of gospel power relationships aren't just inside the church, but outside the church. The way that we interact with people outside the church. Peter goes on to tell us that amid a world that's increasingly against Christianity and the message of the cross of Jesus, we are to even be marked by love for them. And so the second aspect of this checkpoint is this, the fruit of gospel-powered relationships outside of the church. Peter tells us that amid all and any animosity aimed at us from the world, we are to respond with being a blessing to our enemies. Being a blessing to our enemies. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. And that... This, this being a blessing to our enemies, that for both the first century Christians and us here today is simply a hard teaching. That when we've been treated poorly, we are to bless rather than seek vengeance. For the original hearers of this letter, they were under intense persecution. Freedom wasn't only on the line, their very lives were on the line. And while life certainly would have been aggravating for them, frightening for them and so very unjust for the followers of Jesus in that society. They weren't to repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but instead they were called to bless their enemies. Worst case scenarios, bless your enemies. This, this is, it seems to be a far cry from what's happening among many followers of Christ in our day in a far more free society than the recipients of Peter the ones that he wrote to in his letters, the life that they lived, the culture that they lived, the society that they lived is far, far more gruesomely wicked and evil and outright unjust than the one we live in. And yet, don't revile when reviled. Don't return evil for evil. Actually, bless. Even your enemy. Peter reminds them just a chapter earlier in 1 Peter 2, he says, Jesus committed no sin, neither was there deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. One of the things that should very much mark followers of Jesus is that when people revile us or rail against us in anger or treat us poorly, that we don't return it with more of the same. That we instead bless 
even our enemies, and then trust ourselves to the one who will judge justly, and that's very, very difficult to do. When we're treated poorly, we want vengeance, and we want it now. But when the gospel truth is planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit, it will bear the fruit of gospel-powered relationships that bless even the one who proves to be an enemy of the cross. And our society is filled with so much vitriol. And professing Christians have joined their voices of reviling and mocking and threats to a world who does not know the gospel of grace that we profess to know and have experienced. Turn to James chapter 3 for a moment. This will not be up on the screen. James chapter 3 verses 1 through 12, and I was just thinking about this this morning, about this blessing, about being a blessing and, and speaking blessing, even in the midst of uh, uh, difficult, uh, difficult scenarios. James chapter 3, I'll start in verse 1, just read through verse 12. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's a perfect man, also able to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird a reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now listen, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the image of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing, my brothers, these things ought not to be so. They ought not to to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Consider a situation in your life right now that's very difficult. You've been treated poorly or you're aware of others who are treated poorly. What does it look like to actually bless those who have treated you so? And just evaluate, what is, it, what is it you do when you're treated poorly? How, how do we respond? Not, 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 by, not just by people in the church, but by people outside the church who do not know the gospel of grace, who have not the Holy Spirit in their lives. And they're speaking things that are very, very harsh and difficult and, and at enmity with God and with you. How, how do you respond? What does it look like to bless those who are treating you in such a way? Or, or, or what about politicians that you believe are, are wicked in some manner? How is it that it might look to bless them? Or are they not included in this mix? Jesus says in Matthew 5, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. 
Blessing those who insult you, blessing those who ridicule you, or who disagree with something absolutely foundation to your convictions, whether political, emotional, psychological, spiritual, whatever they are, strongly held beliefs, looks like asking the Spirit, I think, to give you a true heart of love for your enemies. Not just mild irritation or furious let's go Brandon nonsense. especially from believers, and a commitment to pray for them. Not simply pray against them. I think generally that's what's done, but actually to pray for them. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. And we don't have to look beyond Jesus for our example here. Right, because on the cross, what did he do? The Son of God was being unjustly treated more than any of us by, by, by far. This is the creator, the one whom all things were created through. He's the one who holds all things in, 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 in his, by the power of his word. He's the one who holds all things together. He is the Lord of creation. He is the eternal Son. And he was mocked. And he was beaten, and he was stripped, and he was crucified, and he never spoke a reviling word. One that recognizes that while we were still sinners, while we reviled God, Christ died for us, that I mistreated Christ, that I mocked Christ, that I killed the Son of God by my sin and depravity and evil heart, and yet was blessed and wasn't treated as I deserved to be treated, that person who gets that by the power of the Holy Spirit also then in turn will not speak reviling against others, but will in turn bless even those who persecute you. I've just seen, and I've been part of this, and have confessed, repented, and trying to walk in a different way. Rather than looking at the news or talking to friends and how angry you are about this, that, and the other thing and whatever and making fun and mocking of, of, of whoever is your hated politician, can, can, we, can we stop? And can we bless them in some way by praying for them and not just being ticked off about what they're doing? To pray for them. think that the way that we work, walk alongside of outsiders, out, people who are outside the church in gospel grace is by treating them as we've been treated by Christ. That while we're still sinners, Christ even died for us. You willing to die for your enemies? Gospel truth planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit will bear the fruit of gospel power relationships where those outside the church, those who are even hateful towards Christ and his church, don't hear reviling in return for their reviling, but gracious speech that while speaking truth and standing for convictions totally, it just does not smell the same as the way the, the world speech is. It's gentle and it's gracious. It's, it's, Colossians, it's Colossians 4 that says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. May that be present in our lives. 
We, we no longer live the same as the world, fretting over all the same things, but living with eyes on eternity where our citizenship is. We, we, do, we do move in a way and such politically as we try to keep that one. We, 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 I use the word fight really loosely here. We fight for what is true and right, and we want to pursue those things in culture, but we do so with gentleness and a gentle speech, not harsh speech, and that guy is so maddening and all that kind of, we just bring on the vitriol of the world, and we have been changed by the gospel of grace, haven't we? We have been treated better than we deserve. That man, that woman who you disagree with so foundationally, does not that man or does not that woman need the gospel of grace? Do they not need to receive the Holy Spirit? Do they not need the regenerating work of the Spirit in their life so that from the very core, not just making some sort of theistic moral decision based on um, whatever heritage they have, but that they would be changed from the inside out? How does that happen but by the sovereign purposes of God through the prayers of his people? And yet the church is only known for their anger. Lord sees you and he sees me. He sees us. He loves us. His ears are open to our prayers. For the difficult things that we're walking through, for the things that are really bothering us in our culture and in our society. And rather than holding up placards of hate filled speech, whether you agree or disagree, we take our concerns to the Lord. And we pray to the one who is the king of all kings, the ruler of all rulers. And we ask him to change the heart, not just the decisions, although that would be nice too, but the heart, eternal heart, the soul of men and women who show up on TV every night, espousing all sorts of things. We pray he listens to us and he will respond to our prayers. I just hijacked the rest of my message with, with what I just said. That was just all off the cuff. So I'm not sure how to get back on track here. At the checkpoint that we're at here, just mostly aware of my own propensity to hear things and then do nothing about it. Just more information. And it's wonderful information, love it. But my life's not changed sometimes. And so I thought we just needed to kind of step back, smell what we're laying down through the We Believe series and consider, huh, is this affecting my life really at all by the way that we love God and the way that we love other people? Because it must, and it will if the Holy Spirit is planting that truth in our hearts, otherwise, we're deceiving ourselves by being hearers of the word and not doers, James 1, So consider, would you, this week and in the weeks to come, going back through the sermon follow-ups that are on the website. Re-listen to sermons we've preached 
Consider how it is these beliefs are informing your life and in your relationships in the church and your family and your workplace and your school and your neighborhood. May you and I not be those who deceive ourselves by being hearers of the word, but that we would be doers of the word that we hear bearing fruit by the spirit of God. For some who are here this morning, We've talked a lot about what we believe. We, we talk incessantly about the gospel of Jesus Christ here. We've, we've mentioned the bad news of sin and the glorious news of forgiveness in Christ repeatedly, but you've just been a hearer of that news and are under the impression that you don't need to respond. The reality is your lack of response is a response, and it's a denial and it's a rejection of the king of the heavens. This morning, it's imperative that you also understand that God is not only a merciful and gracious person, uh, God to those who call on him, he is also just. And he will not allow the one who does not come to Jesus by faith go unpunished. You may feel that God grades on a curve, but it's just not true. Or God will look at you and say, well, you know, maybe, whatever. It's just, do you believe in Jesus or No. Have you given your life to Jesus or no? Are you following Jesus? Are you denying yourself and believing God for what he says, for all that he says, trusting in Jesus' life and his death and his resurrection and his ascension and his coming return, believing that and trusting in that and living for that? This is the, these are the words of Jesus. Deny yourself and follow me. More, more of you less of me. That's the cry of the heart of a man or woman or boy or girl who has been moved upon by the Holy Spirit. So listen, friends, if that's you this morning, you've heard the truth over and over and over again, and you believe that you may get away with your private unrepentant sins against God and others, verse 12 in our text clearly says that not only does he see the righteous, but he sees those who are against him. And don't kid yourself, your life will show it's not just about being, it's not about being perfect, it's that there's a trajectory of, of becoming more and more like Christ. If there's this trajectory over periods of weeks and months where it's just away and away and away from God, man, see if there be any wicked way in you and repent, turn to God, believe in the gospel. You're not gonna get away with your private unrepentant sins. He sees you. He knows you and he's calling you, even this morning, so gracious and merciful to once again call you to repent and to believe him. But know that if you don't come to him, don't follow him, that verse 12c says that the Lord is, he's against you. The king of the universe. The eternal son is not for you, but he's against you. But this morning, he's saying, come, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will forgive you. Call on me and be saved. Don't stay there. You, you don't have to stay under the wrath of God. You can come to Jesus. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted, and he saves the crushed in spirit. So I pray that you would be, those of you who do not know Jesus or think you've known Jesus or you've, you've kind of believed on Jesus, but you're not, your life's not cha changed, your, your, hearts aren't, aren't, your heart's not changing, these things are just not true in your life. And may you be crushed this morning by your sin before holy God and come brokenhearted to Christ who is your only hope and savior and confess that you've sinned against him. It's like I do, disagree. Uh, yes, I've sinned against you. I've been self-sufficient. 
and I believe the truth that Jesus lived a perfect life in my place and he took the penalty of my sin in his place and I trust him to forgive me and be made a child of God. John says in John chapter one, verse 12, to all who did receive him, to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become what? Children of God. And for those who have trusted in Christ and who have had their vision for this life become blurry, which at some time is each one of us, be, be encouraged. The perfect record of Jesus is ours. We're accepted by God because of Christ, but may the words of God through the pen of the apostle Peter spur each of us to live a life that is clear-visioned in obedience to God, marked by a humble Christ-like love for one another and humbly blessing those who are even against us. May the gospel truth we hear week in and week out be planted in our hearts by the power of the Spirit that we would bear the fruit of gospel-powered relationships. Now this, this checkpoint is worth staying at for a bit, friends, this week. Consider, think, process, re-listen to the sermon, think through it, read scripture, consider how your knowledge of God is producing love for God and love for one another, or if it is. And pray for the Spirit to plant his word deep in your heart. And as we depart this checkpoint, we, we jump back on the road next week of what we believe about the gift of the Holy Spirit who has been given to us as our helper and our counselor and our comforter. And I can't wait to talk about that with you next week together.